Welcome back to the Chartwell Chronicles. I'm Colin Davis. Hi, I'm Brittany Atkinson. Just a reminder, Chartwell is more than just New Jersey Workers' Comp. We have a multitude of practice areas. We cover 38 jurisdictions from over 29 offices. And you can find all this information out on our website at chartwelllaw.com. So check us out. Yeah, thank you again for reminding everybody all the different areas we have outside of comp. But today we're going to go over one of the hottest topics within the employer and workers' comp areas of law, marijuana. And uh, to help us present this today, we have one of Chartwell's owners on with us, Rob Baker. Rob practices both workers' comp and employment law in several jurisdictions, so he has a wide range of experience with pot. Isn't that right, Rob? I guess you could say that, yes. <laughs> so tell us a little about yourself, since this is your first time on with us. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me. I, I do appreciate it. Uh, so, yeah, my name is Rob Baker. I'm uh, one of the owners of the firm. I've been with Chartwell a little more than 17 years at this point. I practice out of the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and Arlington, Virginia offices. So I practice employment law and workers' compensation in both Pennsylvania and Virginia. Thanks, Rob. We're so happy to have you. Uh, Rob is the first owner of Chartwell to agree to be on our show. So this could be a good thing or a bad thing, right, Rob? We'll see. <laughs> Rob came to us with this topic a couple of months ago, um, and I recently came across some proposed legislation in New Jersey. So I thought it would be a great time to touch on the, you know, the issue of marijuana as it evolves. Um, I did want to point out that we have a ton of material on this topic posted on our website. We have webinars, blogs available for your review at your leisure or convenience. Uh, so check us out. Um, these can be found at chartwelllaw.com. When we were preparing for this topic, Rob actually brought up that he knew the history of why marijuana is actually illegal. And I thought it was kind of stupid. Rob, can you tell us about that? Yeah. So some people say the history is nothing more than urban legend. Uh, but prior to 1905, uh, marijuana, much like opiates and, and cocaine, was commonplace. Uh, in the drugstore, you could really purchase it anywhere. Uh, in, in the in the early 1900s, uh, DuPont had actually obtained a patent for papermaking. So DuPont and some of the other robber barons actually began lobbying pretty strongly uh, out of fear, basically, that, that marijuana and cannabis would take up to 80 percent of, uh, of the paper industry from them. They were concerned that they were going to lose financing from Andrew Mellon. So they, they began strongly lobbying for the uh, illegalization of marijuana simply because of economics. You know, the, the use of, of marijuana and, and cannabis and hemp uh, really dates back to the Egyptian times where they would use it for clothing. It, um, there's tons of information about, about medicinal use. Uh, but the current status of the law really started back in 1905. There was uh, an effort in 1905 called the Pure Food and Drug Act, which be, really began to... Uh, to restrict sales of certain types of compounds and, and other uh, labeling requirements. In 1937, the Marijuana Tax Act was passed that began to levy a $1 uh, sale or transfer uh, penalty or payment. Uh, and then moving forward, the, the um, Tax Act remained in place until 1969 when the United States officially placed uh, marijuana on the uh, Schedule One uh, list of controlled substances notwithstanding the strong lobbying efforts of the American Medical Association. Uh, so we've, we've come full circle almost getting back to 
where we were prior to 1905 in some jurisdictions for legalization, whether it's uh, medicinal or recreational or both, depending on the jurisdiction. I just thought it was really funny that the initial, you know, illegalization had to do with, had nothing to do with really, you know, getting high. It had everything to do with, you know, making paper and that kind of stuff. So that's why I said it was kind of stupid, but, you know, obviously it's in full circle at this point. And I was a big fan of the Robert Barron's reference. The, uh, you know, it was, it was uh, purely economics that, uh, that initially began restricting the, the use uh, and consumption of marijuana. Interesting facts, right? Well, in a way, when you really look at it, it's interesting. It's interesting that, and not too surprising when you actually break it down, because that's kind of how a lot of that stuff throughout history comes comes and goes to the legality of certain things. Not even just drugs, but people have had issues, and the lobbyists get to it. I mean, at this point now, we have over, we have thirty six states that have legalized marijuana for uh, medical purposes, and fifteen that have legalized it for recreational purposes. And uh, a few of the states that have done that are the one is our New Jersey, um, New York, Washington State, which was actually the first to uh, legalize it in twenty twelve, which kind of surprised me because I didn't realize it was that long. But then in twenty twenty, there was a big push. There was it was on four or five states ballots, and it passed which is when it was passed in New Jersey. Uh, they put it to a ballot initiative and it uh, overwhelmingly passed. And then New York was the most recent in 2021. And just like alcohol, you do have to be over 21 years of age. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I actually thought with the big push in 2020 after the uh, Biden administration came in, I thought they'd take a real easy win and uh, legalize it or take it off schedule one, but they did not. And as uh, as we know, it's still a schedule one uh, narcotic, which is the biggest issue. And that so that is the biggest issue. So, Colin, you just mentioned all these states and the trends that are really moving towards legalizing it um, on a state level. But we still have this overarching issue, which really sort of affects employment and workers comp, which we're going to get into, that it's still illegal at the federal level. So how do we let's first, I guess, get into why it's such an issue. And Colin, you want to take us through that? Sure. The biggest issue is that it's still it's illegal federally. Uh, so if you're caught by U.S. Marshal uh, crossing state lines, it's illegal. Uh and uh, but in, in the state of New Jersey, you can possess up to uh, oh, sorry, you can buy each time up to one ounce of uh, dried flour or uh, you can really have one ounce in total. It's like I have the numbers to break it down of 28 uh, grams of dried flour, four grams of solid, four grams of vaporized or a thousand of the uh, the edibles. And I promise you, I did not inhale. <laughs> so uh, um it's it's interesting because now it's legal, and I was looking up a little too. So in New Jersey, it's still actually illegal to possess it if it's over six ounces, though. So if you have more than six ounces, it is still legal on a state level. But less than that is the, the one ounce has been decriminalized, but you can still get caught at airports, like I said. And that's where we have a big issue with comp because – the carriers, the, the judges now are allowing it. We have pain management doctors who will prescribe it, but the carriers are nervous about paying for it directly because it would violate federal law. And that's one of the biggest issues we see. Yeah. And in New Jersey, it's such an issue because, you know, as if anyone that's listening to this is experienced in New Jersey, 
we get to direct and control medical treatment. So if we send a petitioner, an injured worker, um, a claimant to a doctor and that doctor prescribes medical marijuana, we're now compelled um, or obligated per the statute to to pay for this medication that's being recommended. And in this situation, it's medical marijuana. How do you tell a carrier who operates in several different states who is subject to so many federal regulations that they have to pay for medical marijuana? How is that not a violation of federal law? Rob, what are you saying going on in Virginia and Pennsylvania? Yeah, so in Pennsylvania, there was actually quite recently a case that um, really, I think, followed some of, the, some of the case law in New Jersey. So uh, in PA, uh, I, I had been taking the same argument that, that one, a physician cannot prescribe marijuana because if a physician were to prescribe marijuana, it is still on Schedule 1, as Colin had said, and the physician could lose his or her license uh, to prescribe. Uh, two, there are certain requirements in Pennsylvania that, that – uh, a provider has to comply with, whether it's submitting a medical bill with the supporting medical documentation because of the, the nature of, of the recommendation, they say in Pennsylvania, the, uh, the, the provider would never satisfy the requirements of submitting the bills. So I'd always taken a position that there's no obligation, uh, primarily because you're violating federal law. The the case law changed that and they basically said, well, you're not, you know, the carrier isn't violating the law. They're simply reimbursing a, a claimant for out-of-pocket expenses, which in and of itself is not a violation of federal law. I, I personally think that the, you know, that the, um, the case law was really dancing on the head of a pin, so to speak. They're you know, trying to split hairs. Now that's Pennsylvania in, in Virginia. It's even going to become more complex. And I think we'll get into this in a bit, but the, because of the medicinal and recreational issues in, in Virginia, however, workers' compensation is a little more clear. Uh, we still take the position that, that it's not to be reimbursed or paid for in, in Virginia, but I do think it's this growing trend. Um, you, you know, one state might uh, say New Jersey, for example, they, uh, had the case law that you were mentioning, Pennsylvania followed suit, New York's following suit. And I think eventually it's it's something that, that uh, uh, becomes more of the standard rather than the exception. Well, yeah, like you, you when I when I was looking at it, uh, the, there was a couple more uh, red states that had it legalized than you would have, would have thought. Usually uh, they tend to be more conservative, obviously, than the progress like New Jersey, Washington, all that. But like South Dakota was on the list. Um so it's definitely jumping, jumping quickly uh, for sure. And you had met, you just said it's it's more of a reimbursement in the dancing. It, it that's the that's what I found funny too about uh, New Jersey as well because we're we're even the I, I remember when the pain management doctor started. Uh, giving out the medical cards, they would only accept cash payments. And I'm not sure if that's still the case, but when the judge, the first judge made the ruling, I remember it, it wasn't really, pop, it, it was kind of secret, but it existed. And it was, I remember it was such a secret. It was like, like this ruling came down, but nobody can have a copy of the order. We don't want this to get out. Um, but basically it said, the reimbursement for out-of-pocket expenses is, you know, based uh, permissible under the New Jersey statute, and therefore the respondent or the insurance carrier is compelled to pay for it. 
or reimburse it. And that's how they, that's how they got around it. And then I think the PA came out shortly after that. Yeah, it was, it was weird. And the other part, like, like Rob said, okay, so we are, we're, we are paying, we are directing care. So we've directed to Dr. A, Dr. A all of a sudden goes, okay, well, injections, uh, opioids aren't working. Let me, let me get you, let me prescribe marijuana. And I believe they had to go out and get their, they had to get the marijuana card first too. The doctor would help ish help facilitate that. But then say it was $150 for marijuana. We would then well, the the way they've ordered basically said was you be reimbursed for medical expenses. You don't really have to say it's for marijuana to cover everybody, but it's basically just a, a big loophole essentially, because we're still paying for it, even though we're not supposed to. But I've even had clients say, well, I, I'm not going to comply with an order from the judge saying that. And where, where do I stand violating state you know, a state order or, you know, or do I chance violating the federal law? And it's always a really hard question for us to answer because it's so conflicting. Yeah. I, I, I personally think that's a big issue, right? So if you're, if say you're representing a, a transportation company, they're governed by federal DOT requirements. I, I, I can't imagine that such a company would want to violate federal law, uh, by paying for state mandated reimbursements of, of marijuana. I, I, I personally think this is going to become a bigger issue because of the conflict. You know, the, I personally don't think that, that a, a workers' compensation judge or commissioner has, or even the, you know, the respective state Supreme courts can, can necessarily issue decisions that are in direct violation of federal law. I mean, it, it, as you both mentioned, the, the, the payment mechanisms, at least in the states where I practice, largely cash-based because a, if, if a dispensary were to uh, use uh, a, a national bank, then then the dispensary is violating federal law through wire you know, transfers and, and the like. I, I, I think that it's just wrought with issues and, and you either have to address it at the national level or, or have the states in my mind not get involved at the state level when it, for things like workers comp, you know, I mean, employment law issues are, are slightly different with respect to termination or, or adverse employment action. But, but these, these mechanisms or orders for payment are in direct violation of, of federal law. In my opinion. And it, it's also funny because like uh, in New Jersey, um, Cure Relief is one of the bigger ones. And they their initial plan was they put plans forth in all 50 states. So when it was if it was legalized in whatever new state, they had it up and running, ready to go. They actually got in a little trouble because part of the New Jersey law when it uh, moved to recreational and medicinal was that. Uh, medicinal people are supposed to get preference over recreational. So they get the medicinal gets more offerings. They can get higher amounts because I know people with medical cards, they are allowed to get three ounces in a visit when recreational, you're only allowed to get one. And, um, and some people have higher than that. Uh, I've heard up to five, um, but Curalief actually in its renewal of a licensing lost it briefly because they allegedly weren't, um, abiding by that uh rule that ruling of favoring the medical it, it got worked out some lobbyists paid somebody and fixed it but my <laughs> my point in all of this was cure relief is a national national canadian company so we're not just talking about cross state i'm crossing the international like it, it's 
it's going across multiple lines to get out of New Jersey. I mean, we're going from New Jersey to wherever their central is in the U.S. and then out to Canada. So, I mean, that's playing around the commerce clause, uh, commerce with the commerce clause and all of that. No, and I totally agree. And so speaking of this, you know, this conflict, the one of the proposed um, legislations that I just came across when I was actually looking for something else is um, a bill that basically says workers comp or a PIP carrier. So if you're in a motor vehicle accident, um, personal injury, it says shall provide coverage costs associated with the medical use of cannabis. But then it says they don't have to cover it if the federal government intervenes to enforce the Controlled Substances Act. How does that fix anything? I don't see how that fixes the conflict. I mean, they're basically saying they shall provide the you know costs for medical marijuana, but if the government, you know, federal government intervenes, then they don't have to do it. But so, but so, when are they going to intervene after they already have done it? Yeah, scary. So how do you? It's the it's uh, scariest words in the English language. I'm here. For, <laughs> I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. But no, it, it, it basically it's a it's essentially a cop out. The state the way that the way you you just read that the states are saying okay we've decriminalized it, but our our boss our federal government can still come yeah. down and crack down because I mean like I said you get pulled over you get pulled over uh, Virginia uh, I actually saw this so it's you can have up to an ounce of marijuana regardless they don't it's not legally recreationally till 2024 i read but they've decriminalized up to an ounce so even there you can have an ounce and but so a cop can pull you over one ounce you're fine but a u.s marshal uh, at the airport it, it it's it's the biggest problem that's why i thought uh, it was going to be a quick win when the new administration came in with especially we had five states going that i, I or at least knock it down from schedule one. I think that's what's the next step. I don't think it'll ever get decriminalized like the states are doing, but I don't know how you guys feel, but I think it's going to come off schedule one at some point. Yeah. I mean, I think that's at the federal level, it's probably the biggest issue because not only you're dealing with, with the schedule, but there are so many people that are incarcerated for, for minor possessions, you know? So it, it then becomes an issue of, of, releasing those folks or, or not. Um, I agree with you. I think that something needs to be done at the federal level. Uh, you know, there are, there are study after study that, that shows, and I'm not advocating one way or the other, but, uh, there are newer studies that, that show the benefits of, of even medicinal use for people that, that have severe epilepsy or severe intractable pain from cancer. I mean, I, I've, I've read articles where, you know, parents have, as a last resort, used uh, uh, marijuana for their children because of severe epilepsy uh, uh, seizures, and it, it's worked when nothing else has worked. So well, that was a big you know, thing. I do, I do think oil. that there's, there's you know, at least here in Pennsylvania, there's a, a body of science behind the, the medicinal use of, of marijuana. I totally agree. So, how do you feel about recreational use? Because in PA, it's not recreationally well; it's not legal besides for medicinal purposes, right, Rob? Right, yeah, so you know, Pennsylvania, you have to obtain a medical marijuana card. Uh, there's a process where there's 24 conditions. Most of those conditions are uh, the same as, as someone who qualify for a disability under the Americans with Disabilities Act. So the use of marijuana itself in PA doesn't qualify for the disability, but the underlying health condition might uh, from the employment standpoint. So 
the the applicant has to um, be recommended for use by a physician because they can't be prescribed. Uh, they submit an application for the medical marijuana card, uh, and then there's there there are numerous dispensaries here in Pennsylvania now. Basically, it seems like one on every corner most times. Uh, so it's yeah. Yeah, so it's 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 limited to uh, to uh, medicinal use in Pennsylvania. Although that has even expanded. At, at one point, uh, we could people could use medicinal marijuana and PA for pills, oils, liquid, and cream. A few years ago, they expanded the use to dried plants. So now medicinal users can smoke marijuana, uh, but only for you know for uh, medicinal uses. So. Recreational marijuana is throughout the Commonwealth is illegal, but there are certain sanctuary cities, if you will, that, that have legalized it um, recreationally, whether it's Philadelphia. Uh, I think there's some smaller cities in northeast Pennsylvania, Harrisburg. Uh, so they they've, have gone one step further locally to uh, to legalize or, or to permit the use of, of uh, recreational marijuana. So. Um, so that's Pennsylvania. Virginia is a little different. Um, you know, Virginia allows the for the use of uh, medical marijuana. However, the options are limited to oils, capsules, lozenges, and patches. You, medicinal users can't uh, can't use the the dried leaf or dried bud, so to speak, for um, medicinal marijuana. There's a similar process for. Uh, the marijuana card and application process, uh, as Colin had said, the the legalization of recreational marijuana will uh, begin uh, starting uh, in 2024, uh, limited to people 21 years of age for recreational use. Interesting note: in Virginia, uh, minors are permitted to use uh, medical marijuana at the authorization of of a, a parent or guardian. Um, so there is that distinction uh, between Virginia and Pennsylvania. I, I know that both states, uh, both commonwealths, excuse me, both commonwealths are, uh, are looking at further expansion or revision of the, the qualification. So in Pennsylvania, there's actually a fair amount of activity right now in, in even within the last week of of what is being proposed. One proposal is removing that qualifying list of, of ailments. Uh, currently, there's 24 uh, qualifications, one being a catch-all, so to speak. Uh, so there's legislation proposing the removal of, of um, you know, of, of the, the catch-all list. There's a proposal of eliminating the requirements for a medical marijuana card, meaning anyone can then go obtain medical marijuana, which I think then doesn't that by default make it recreational in some ways. I was just thinking, do you think it's trending towards, you know, making it easier for people to, you know, obtain it and thereby kind of making it recreationally legal? I I will tell you, uh, the former lieutenant governor, now congressman in Pennsylvania, uh, huge proponent of legalizing recreational marijuana. I I think that the the current governor is, is not opposed to the recreational use either. Uh, and even to go one step further, there's legislation in Pennsylvania that would allow the uh, the use of edibles uh, in addition to being able to smoke it, rub it on your arm, 
drink it uh, or use a cream. So yeah, I, I do think Pennsylvania is probably trending um, for recreational use. I personally would be shocked if it if it wasn't uh, legalized under the current governor. Well, uh, and it, it makes sense because in 2022 alone, the cannabis industry beat out uh, chocolate and beer in total sales at $33.5 billion. And they're projecting that the marijuana industry is going to um, be annually near $170 billion uh, projected to contribute to the U.S. economy by 2028. So that alone, I mean, the the tax the the cost of it is insane. They they put in everything. The tax rev. I mean, I don't know what they'll use it for. The government they'll screw it up. But uh, the amount of tax revenue the states will want to have to get into it. I mean, that's that's always the biggest arg. That was always the biggest argument you'd hear for legalization from the political side. Look at all this tax revenue we could have. So I I definitely see it coming over. But that actually that that's where it becomes an issue uh, on top of the medicinal is the recreational and employers because how do we how do we t- how do the employers deal with it? How do we test for it? Uh, because if you have a medicinal card, I mean, you're allowed to do it. And unlike alcohol, where you drink it, you sleep it off, it's out of your system. It can be in your system for 30 plus days, depending on how active of a user you are. So what are you seeing with employers? Yeah. So uh, One quick aside, though, we, when we started this discussion, I mentioned the economics of why marijuana was uh, uh, became an illegal substance. Now we're talking about the economics of why it's going to become uh, legalized recreationally again. And it's, it's all about tax revenue and money at, you know, at this point. Uh, so the, the issue of marijuana use in the workplace is very difficult. Um, maybe more so in Virginia. So I'll start with Pennsylvania because it's slightly easier. So in Pennsylvania, I say it's easier because there's no recreational permission. So it's, it's, it's um, for medicinal purposes only. So in Pennsylvania, if somebody were, if an employer were to test uh, positive for marijuana use, uh, it, the medical review officer at the, at the lab would most likely then question the employee as to whether or not they have a medical marijuana card. Um, it's much like uh, a drug test and someone tests positive for opiates, but they, they have a prescription for for the, the, the medication. So it's almost like a, you know, a, a false positive, if you will. Right. Uh, so in a, on the employment side, if there was a positive test and the employee has a medical marijuana card in Pennsylvania, that positive test cannot be used adversely against them. Okay. If they don't have a medical marijuana card and they test positive, employers technically are free to take adverse action uh, because of the, the positive test, especially if they have policies against uh, you know, drug use. Uh, some some employers do, depending on the state or, or location. Some don't. But absent a medical marijuana card, the employer can take action for a positive drug test. Now, in Pennsylvania, the employee cannot use marijuana, medical marijuana, during work hours. They can't arrive at work under the influence. They can't uh, leave the property and, and get high during you know their, their breaks or during lunch. The employer can control that environment. Uh, there's one step further where if if the employer is governed by federal law, the Medical Marijuana Act in Pennsylvania doesn't apply to the employer. Uh, so there's there's no safe harbor, if you will, for the employee. 
So uh, Rob, just, I don't want to interrupt you for a minute, but what comes to my mind is so like alcohol stays in your system for, you know, a short amount of time. So when you test for that and it, you know, it comes up that it's in your system, um, you know, obviously it's easier to say, okay, you're drinking on the job, you're doing this, but like with marijuana, there's no way to test the levels. So if you, you know, if you, I don't know, ingest, smoke. There's so many ways to eat it or do it with these days. So, but if it's in your system, it could be from two weeks ago, um, but you're still testing positive for it. So how do they deal with that? Is there, does there have to be like a standard for like reasonable suspicion that they're using it on the job? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And there's actually some case law relevant to, to your point. Uh, just very, very quickly, because I think it's really interesting. So there was a gentleman in, in the state college area, central PA, north central PA. He, uh, tested positive for random testing by the employer. He freely admitted that he smokes weed during the weekend when he's fishing, but he denies that he smokes or, or uses pot during the week. Uh, they terminated him. He sued. The courts reinstated his employment with back wages because they couldn't prove that he was under the influence at the time of, of the test when they- Yeah, that's uh, exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, so yeah, so the, you know, the, the, the level of testing is an issue across the board. In Pennsylvania, they actually have some uh, language that, that links marijuana levels to prescription medications, and it gets really confusing. Um, but most states would, would look at reasonable suspicion testing. You know, there are telltale signs. You know, are, are, is someone slurring their speech? Are they, uh, are they looking through you, not at you? Are they, do they have an unsteady gait? Many of the similar, uh, you know, options or, or signs of, of alcohol um, intoxication. Um, perhaps, in, you know, in the setting, are they, you know, mowing down on Doritos while you're at work too? That could also be a sign of... <laughs> a little bit of the munchies, Rob. A little bit of the munchies, yeah. <laughs> so, so, I've, I, so I've thought about that issue um, a lot. And in fact, there's in New Jersey, I just came across, um, a, you know, additional legislation that they're trying to pass. And in this legislation, um, it basically, it's, it's all about protecting employees who do use it um, on a legal basis, you know, recreationally outside of work. Um, and again, they don't encourage any, well, I'm sure that uh, most employers have policies against using it at work. Um, so that's not an issue, but the whole, you know, the, the point becomes, you know, how do you test, um, you know, for, for marijuana if they're using it in the workplace and how do you prove that? And this, and this proposed legislation says that they're encouraging employers to hire um, a workplace impairment recognition expert to declare who may or may not be under the influence at the time of an accident and or during work um, in order to support the employer's disciplinary actions or, you know, basis for termination and, and the like. So, but still to me, isn't it subjective? And I guess, I guess these workplace impairment recognition experts have to have some sort of training and they have to be certified in something. What's the job interview for that? I've been doing pot for over 10 years. I'm an expert. Like... Well, exactly. Like I, you know, I'm an expert in, in figuring out who's high and who's not high at, at that time. So I just, I find that whole, I mean, you know, the, the, these, the, the consequences of the legalization of marijuana, both medicinal and recreational are just, they're significant. And they're just, they're so interesting to me because, you know, this is, so, this is something like you can take a urine sample and, you know, the, what, what you were just talking about, some guy goes out fishing on the weekend and, you know, and he leisurely smokes pot and he's allowed to do so in most states. Um, but then he, you know, goes to work and his urine sample still comes back positive. I mean, how do you really, how do you prove it? 
Yeah, I, it's very subjective. Uh, you know, the two points. One, there, there are actually efforts uh, underway to develop a similar breathalyzer for marijuana intoxication as there is for uh, alcohol. Um, think the thinking is, and I, I think that there are a few on the market, but they're very, very expensive. But the, you know, the the idea is that the breathalyzer would be able to measure this the the level of of use similar to a breathalyzer for alcohol. Uh, locally, just the other night on the news, there was a local police department where they were bringing people in to smoke a ton of weed so the police officers could learn the signs of identifying people under the influence. And it made, it made the news here locally. So I, I have a uh, lot of, fr- I have a lot of friends that wish they knew that in advance. Yeah. <laughs> the line is out the door. You know, on, on the together, just so we can learn who's high and who's not high. <laughs> I, I think it's, yeah. I think it's funny. You mentioned the breathalyzer thing. Cause that was my, that was one of my biggest arguments when they were uh, legalizing. It's like, okay, you drink three beers in an hour. You hit, you take the breathalyzer, you know, you're, if you're over 0.08, you're legally drunk and it's, you're impaired driving a vehicle. That's illegal. The law in New Jersey is the same for marijuana is if you, if you're impaired, you can't drive a vehicle, but there's no, uh, there's no tests. So I'm glad it's interesting to hear that they're developing a similar thing. The other thing I just thought of when you mentioned the PA thing, where how the first it's you're presumed innocent, essentially, or a false positive. If you have a medicinal card, well, you can drive over to, if you don't have a medicinal card, you can drive over to New Jersey, legally buy it, spend the weekend at the beach, smoke it, and then come back to PA and you could test positive and wouldn't have a card, but everything you did was legal. Well, Colin, now you're going back to violating federal law because you're crossing state lines. No, I no, I, <laughs> it's not violating. You're you're buying it in New Jersey. You're using it in New Jersey, and then you're going back to Pennsylvania. Does not violate state law or federal you're law. Bringing it back? No, I didn't say you were bringing it back. I said you're using <laughs> it in New Jersey, but then so you're legally using it, and then you're going back into a state that the employer could. And it, it, it's again the same arguments I legally used, which is I guess what that state college case is saying. I'm guessing he worked for the university. Uh, he, he didn't actually. He worked for uh, a, a, a manufacturing plant that made some sort of widget. Uh, so they they had a, a like a zero tolerance policy, okay, uh, because of safety concerns for you know for uh, drug use. I would think if he worked for the university, he probably wouldn't have been fired personally. <laughs> I don't know. I, I love my alma mater, but they make some weird decisions on stuff. <laughs> no, I mean, most of the employers that we represent, um, at least for us in New Jersey, I mean, they're warehouse workers. They're operating heavy machinery, forklifts. I mean, it's 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 definitely a concern with, you know, considering, you know, how people just use it recreationally now. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt, but just generally speaking, if, if a state has uh, a medical marijuana law, the, the laws are written in a way that, that one, allows employers to restrict the use if there's a safety issue. For example, if somebody is working in a confined space or in a mine, the, the Pennsylvania law would prohibit the use of, of medical marijuana for those folks. Um, most laws are also written in a way that there's a catch-all, right? If it's a safety issue for the employer or coworkers, such as someone driving a forklift, uh, you know, on a dock, I could see how that would be a safety issue if they were under the influence and ran the forklift off you know, at the end of the dock. I and mean, we've, we've had those cases. Um, there, there are those, those carve-outs that, that employers have, uh, whether it's 
for medicinal use in, in, in respective states. You know, on, on the recreational side, employers don't lose their rights, uh, at least in the two states where I, I practice, you know, Virginia being the recreational use, the, the employers don't use, lose their rights of, of uh, requiring a, a safe workplace. In, in essence, I think that employers, even in recreational states, are obligated to still provide a safe workplace under the general duty clause of the Occupational Safety and Health Administration uh, Act, you know, because employers have to ensure that when employees go to work, that they're they're safe at work, as are the, the co-workers. So, you know, in Virginia specifically, employers have the ability to to discipline employees for violation of work rules. They, they don't have a, you know, a, a carte blanche as the employee to you know, to use marijuana as they they would like. So employers can prohibit the use during work. Can't come to work under the influence. Can't come to work high. Um, most employers um, that they're in these states really should have some sort of, of testing policy. Honestly, you know whether it's reasonable suspicion, random, um, uh, or or yeah, a workplace experiment recognition expert. Only in New Jersey, apparently. <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, yeah, that's that's just funny. I mean, this this is such a broad topic, uh, which is one of the real reasons we brought Rob on, and we're actually going to bring Rob back on again uh, in a couple months to dive further into the actual comp and employment law aspects. We wanted to stay pretty generally on this one because the the laws across the three states are so different, and there's so much. I mean, it's it's so new. I feel like every time a new post comes out about a, a case, and everybody or a new case that drops, where everybody's running to see what it says. And uh, I'd like to thank Rob for joining us on this. It was a blast having you. I hope you had fun, and uh, I hope you come back come back in a couple of months with us to do this again. I, I did have a blast, and I guess I, I guess I'll decide if I'm coming back on how many people actually listen to this. But no, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I, I do appreciate the opportunity. Uh, yeah, I, I'm surprised that I was one of the, not one, I guess the first owner. So um, I, I am honored to have done that, and, and even more honored to already have been welcomed back. So I, I appreciate it, and I, I think uh, you guys are doing a great job. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. And like we said, Rob will be back to talk uh, about the marijuana issue in more depth. And I have a feeling we'll be covering this topic a few more times. And I want to give a special thanks out to our behind the scenes man, Eric Kovacs, for uh, helping us out with all the technical stuff, especially since we've now expanded to uh, a bi-monthly podcast. And join us uh, join us again for the next episode of the Chartwell Chronicles. And please subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.